gained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, welcome back. This is our in-gathering Sunday when we welcome back those who have been traveling off to distant places in the summer and also offer a special welcome to anybody who's visiting as the year gets underway and you might be looking for a new church home. Our in-gathering is when we kick off our program year. Boy, what a couple of weeks it has been. Uh, Does it feel a little apocalyptic to anybody? I mean, really, the... Watch as part of the country burns, the smoke even, at least where we are, coming down significantly last week for a few days. And then we watch as other parts of the country, actually other parts of the world, flood, massive flooding. It's hard to see that happen. I'm mindful right now of of those who are in Florida hunkering down while we sit here on this beautiful summer day. Afraid as the winds and the rain and the surge comes, frantically checking the weather or maybe even just checking outside, looking for the sun to come out and the waters to recede, asking, is it here yet? Is it here yet? How many of you know someone in the path of Irma? Look at that. Look at that. Oh, it's so hard to be separated from loved ones in moments like this. And I know many of you wish you could be with those people, holding them tight. But if we can't be with them, we can at least be with one another and share our common concern and open our hearts in prayer for them. Unfortunately, we're not blessed today with a particularly encouraging scripture reading. (laughs) On a day we could use a little bit of hope, And on a day when we're supposedly celebrating the 60th anniversary of the church and charging forward with the new year ahead and welcoming people back and welcoming people for the first time, we're given a text in which Jesus talks about how people in the church hurt each other. Thanks, Jesus. Very helpful for the cause here. Come to church where we mistreat one another and lay out in painstaking detail how we redress that. I admit I I didn't help matters much back in June when I did my worship planning for the year. I I do a little bit of preliminary work on every Sunday, and then I I make some notes about where I might go in the sermon. And I kid you not, my first note under today's passages was, talk about Watergate, in all caps. Yeah, that'll bring him in, McClellan, in gathering. So what does Watergate have to teach us today? I have no idea. I don't know. 
when I sat down, I thought, why did I write that? So let's just leave Nixon aside for a little bit and go back to Jesus, safer ground, okay? And it turns out that this somewhat strange passage, strange because Jesus almost never talks about the church. The word church only appears in the Gospels four times. All in the Gospel of Matthew, three in this chapter. Jesus almost never talks about the church. And in the one he, time he does, it seems, he simply talks about how we're hurting each other. But it's a fascinating teaching if you don't gloss over it on a number of fronts. First, let's start at the beginning. Jesus says, if someone has sinned against you... Now, don't get tripped up with the word sin. It just means if someone has wronged you. Okay, so if someone wrongs you, do what? Go out and point it out to that person. Well, right off the bat, Jesus doesn't say, take it. He says, no, go point it out. And isn't that interesting that he commands them to go? For how easy it is, even how easy it was back then, to just whisper about that person or to gossip, to talk about them rather than to talk to them, either to get clarity or to correct them if they were truly wrong. And how much easier it is for us today with modern technology to do the same thing and even worse. Social media and electronic communication, wonderful for sending pictures of your grandkids or of your vacation. Not so good for having thoughtful conversations about contentious issues. If there's one regret I have, and there are probably many, but if there's one that stands out to me about the time that followed the election, it's that I didn't offer a clear warning to people not to try to have this conversation online. It just doesn't work for that. And I watched painfully as it didn't work for some people. Jesus says, go directly to the source. Now, I know that for some people, writing is really the only safe way to communicate, and I understand that, but so often what we get instead is, is keyboard courage, which quickly turns into keyboard cruelty. And it's not productive. I have a theory that if you go to the comments section on any online article, you know, at the bottom, you scroll down, there's a section for comments, Devil's Playground, if you ask me, because by the second or third comment, something mean will be said. Try it out. It's, it's foolproof. I mean, it could be an article about butterflies or laundry detergent, but by comment three, something nasty's coming in. Don't look at that stuff. Half of it's fake anyway, and the rest of it's toxic. It's poison. Like scented laundry detergent, by the way, which is fond of the devil. <laughs> See, there I go. It just comes out. Jesus says, go directly to the person. Secondly, under what conditions do you approach the person? Do you remember? Alone. And why, Susan? Do you have any idea? Yes, you have it with just the two of you to save the dignity of the wrongdoer. 
Allow them to save face. Give them a better opportunity to change. Insofar as it's safe, and I recognize it's not always safe, what's Jesus up to here? Jesus is always about the repairing the community, trying to heal things. And when you confront someone in private, you lower the social cost of them changing their mind and their behavior. There's a lot of talk these days about shame and whether it's an appropriate tactic to correct antisocial behavior, hurtful behavior, whether it's bullying on the playground or, or marching with white supremacists. Shouldn't we shame those people? Well, exposing people aligning with false power is one thing. But shaming them for the sake of simply returning hurt is quite another. And this isn't just Jesus being loving and forgiving, though he is both of those things. It's strategic. If you make the social cost of of changing so high that people won't do it, you're, you're engaging in counterproductive activity. I know that I am far more likely to change if there's a graceful way for me to do it without being embarrassed. Otherwise, I'm liable to dig in and stay my course even when it's actually become apparent that my course is misguided because the cost of admitting I'm wrong is too high. And Jesus is trying to lower the cost because he's trying to repair the community, to restore the brokenness that sets in. We call that restorative justice, which seeks to heal the relationships, heal the wound of the one who was harmed, but also rehabilitate the the harm-doer. It stands in contrast to what we call retributive justice, which is primarily about punishment. Restorative justice does what it can to bring the community back into wholeness, takes a lot of investment, but has long-term payoff, where retributive justice says the best way to protect the community is to isolate the wrongdoer and to harm them, and that will keep the rest of us safe. Short-term may be cheaper, long-term very, very costly. I don't think I have to tell you what side of that equation Jesus is on. And so Jesus says trying once isn't good enough. If they don't listen, he says, point three, go and get someone to go with you. Now why? So you can gang up on them. No. You come only armed with evidence. So you can bear witness to the other, confront them with truth, or at least wise perspectives of trusted people in the community. It's not so that you can defeat them. It's not about winning. That's an old sort of cultural lie we tell. The goal is not to win over the other. The goal is to point out hurtful activity so that the hurtful activity can be transformed and changed. And then everybody wins. The whole community wins. So bring someone with you. Now, if that doesn't work, go back and get the whole church. Bring the whole community. And only then, fourth observation, expel the person from the community. Now, that seems awfully harsh, right? Isn't this the all-inclusive Jesus? Well, if you think about it, By that point, the wrongdoer has already expelled themselves. 
All of community life is in one form or another answering the question, do you choose each other with either I do or I don't? And when the wrongdoer has refused to listen to the honest complaint of their neighbor, and when they've refused to take seriously the evidence presented to them by two or three other witnesses, and when they've refused the witness of the entire community, they've expelled themselves, just not yet in name. And throwing them out as painful as it is, even that becomes an act of trying to preserve the integrity of the community, which is Jesus' quest. Hard to bear, perhaps, but it's after exhausting every other method. And that's why Nixon matters. I realized why I wrote that down once I sat with this text and worked on it and worked on it. You see, last spring I'd clipped an interview with a famed journalist, Carl Bernstein, and recounting some of that uh, awful episode in our country's history. And we know what was awful about it. It wasn't simply the wrongdoing. And we all commit wrongdoing. Lord knows I do. But it's in what? Covering it up. Right? Covering it up. Because I, I, I saw, I'd written in my notes, and I thought it was a quote from the article, but it was just a reflection I had on the article. A healthy community never covers up. Because what a cover-up is, is a refusal to be corrected by the truth by your neighbor a refusal to take seriously the witness of your community, a refusal to honor the other and admit you were wrong or you participated in wrong. And you don't have to be a presidential scholar to to remember that the cover-up is always worse than the crime, right? You just have to be a parent. (laughs) Child comes to you and says, no, I washed my hands. I did brush my teeth as their finger paint-covered fingers are leaving marks down, and as they are saying it to you through blueberry-bit-littered teeth that they are lying through, right? Now, what is the parent concerned about there? Is it really their hygiene or their teeth? No. What concerns the parent in that moment is how fragile the family bond is and how dependent it is on honesty and integrity. And in that moment, you realize that that child has required a newfound ability not to commit falsehood, but we do that, but to stand by it even when confronted with the evidence. Now we've entered a new complexity of relationship. Any family can tell you that, children or not. Any couple struggling with infidelity, any company struggling with dishonest practices. It's never about what it's about. It's not about the blueberries or the washing of the hands. It's not about the sex. It's not even about the unethical business practices. It's about the integrity of the relationship based on honesty and openness to correction. And when that gets threatened, it all becomes very tenuous. Jesus almost never talks about the church. 
So we have to take this teaching very seriously because it's clear that if there's anything he wants us to know, it's that integrity matters. You know, I think Jesus recognized that his followers would always exist in a bigger context, a a bigger world. And the church may not be your primary community. It may not be where you spend most of your time. It may not be the righteous thing for us to concentrate on all the time here. But what it is, is a training ground for how to live in the world, in here and out there. And it's first and foremost about a way of being. I think that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. A way of being and a way of being together. That supersedes our creeds. That actually is our creed. It's not a set of words. It's a set of practice. It's always about practice. It's about how to be together. I think Jesus understood that not just in the life of the church, but in the life of the greater world, we are going to be confronted constantly with the question, by the way, with great consequences, do you choose each other? Do you choose each other? And in this strange, somewhat non-hopeful-seeming passage, Jesus actually gives us incredible encouragement and tools to answer, I do. I do choose you. You in the pews and you out there on the street, I do choose you. Because I believe our bond can survive that which threatens it. I do choose you. Because in your humanity, I see your divinity. I do choose you. I do choose you because I believe you can choose me. And that will be better if we choose one another. I choose you. I do. Because I believe in you. And I believe in us together. And that belief is stronger than anything that threatens to tear it apart. I do. I choose you. I do. Two words. Let's begin our 61st year with just two words. I do. Powerful words. A couple weeks ago, in the most iconic moment we have in this culture of uttering those words, I had the privilege of being a part of the wedding of, of Ruthie Wells, there you are, our choir director in Clark. A more beautiful time than I could ever explain. When you say to one another, I do, forever I do. In that moment, they shared this poem among many other things they shared, and I'd like to share it with you, maybe as a witness of what we could be for each other. Here on a summer night, Garrison Keeler. Here on this summer night in the grass, in the lilac smell, drunk on crickets in the starry sky. Oh, what fine stories we could tell with this moonlight to tell them by. A summer night in you in paradise so lovely and full of grace. Above your head the universe has hung its lights. And I reach out my hand to touch your face. I believe in impulse, in all that is green. Believe in the foolish vision that comes true. Believe that all that is essential is unseen. And for this lifetime, I believe in you. All of the lovers and the love they made, nothing that was between them was a mistake. 
all that is done for love's sake is not wasted and will never fade. O love, that shines from every star, love reflected in the silver moon, it is not here, but it's not far, not yet, but it will be here soon. Friends, I know it doesn't always feel like it's here yet. I know it doesn't feel like the sun is coming, but the sun is coming soon. In the meantime, we can wait out the storm together. Welcome back. Welcome home.
may be seated. So as I mentioned earlier, this is our in-gathering Sunday with a great picnic brunch. Um, it'll, the food will be out on the playground, so as you leave worship, you can just go straight down the hall and then around, and that's, that's where the food will be. I also invite you to take a look at the bulletin, all of the announcements of upcoming events and activities. Now that the fall is here, several new things are beginning. Just to highlight a couple of those for you, um, today, right after worship, our high school confirmation class begins. It's an annual class. And several people have asked Rob or me, hey, why don't you offer a confirmation class for adults? We'd like to learn some of those things. Um, and so what we're doing for several weeks this fall is offering what we call a Christianity 101 class. It's every Sunday at 8.30. It'll last about an hour. So you can come at 8.30 for the class, and it'll be over in plenty of time for 10 o'clock worship. We meet in the library. Also new this fall is a monthly event called Messy Church. Um, it's meant mostly for families with younger children, but anyone can get messy. All ages are welcome. Um, but what we're going to do in Finley Hall is set up all kinds of tables and stations with a variety of crafts and games and activities, all focused on a certain Bible story, but a way to really get into the story with your hands and your messiness. Um, so you're welcome to come and participate. Also, if you're interested in, in helping out with one of those stations, let me know. We can always use some help. Um, and then finally, another new thing is starting on Mondays, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, is a new yoga series. Every Monday at 9.30, you're welcome. It's for all abilities. If you're a yoga expert or if you've never done yoga before, just come and join us at 9.30 on Mondays for that. Um, of course, there's all kinds of other stuff. Last but not least, you may notice that we are having some work done here in the sanctuary, um, replacing our windows along with some rot that had happened around the window frames. This is just one step in um, quite a bit of deferred maintenance that's needed on our building. Um, so what we are doing is putting together a team to start working on a capital campaign, looking not only at some of our deferred maintenance, but also how our ministries can um, best reflect the space that we're in, or how our space can best reflect the ministries that we're doing. That's the right way to say it. Um, so you'll hear a lot more about that in the winter months, but if you're interested in being a part of that capital campaign team, or if you know someone who might be a good member of that team, let Rob or me know. All right, let's stand now as you are comfortable and join in our closing hymn. That is number 174.
friends, seek out Sister Wisdom as this congregation has done for 60 years. Seek it out in your daily lives and in our corporate life together. And as you go from this place, go with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go with the love of God who is Father and Mother of all of us. And go with the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit. This day and every day. Amen.